And now, right to your host of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. episode of Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. Hello there, I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host and co-author, Matthew Dressing. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right, and we want to help you make it happen, uh, especially at the end of August when your garden is tired and the gardening gardeners are tired, and I know the landscape designers are tired. <laughs> um, the trees are tired and things are stressed, and uh, so Matt and I are here. We have a change of plans for those tuning in that might have been tuning in for uh, a, a show on apples, but we will get to that ho- that guest um, in the future. But right now, Matt and I are going to talk a little bit about what's going on in everybody's garden and this amount of stress showing, I think, just from the um, the drought we had, right? Yeah, that's it, exactly. Lots of different seasonal stresses uh, appearing in our gardens after a long season, all depending on where you are going to be. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk about what they look like and what you can do, uh, what's causing them, what's not. So if you have a seasonal stress in your garden, uh, we'd love to know. Send us pictures, send us questions. Uh, you can send them to down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com and we will um, answer your questions there. Just like Tim had sent us a question. Already, Tim. Well, <laughs> Tim had sent one in midweek that I kind of think ties in um, talking about how soil is an antidepressant. So I just thought it was a Uh counter to the seasonal stresses, uh, how it is proven that, you know, working with soil and getting soils in our system does help us out. Uh, So, you know what, we might be stressed out and there might be a lot going on, uh, but there is still some fun and some benefits to be had out in our seasonal gardens. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So, so thank you for joining us, everyone, here as we talk about our seasonal stresses. <laughs> so, <laughs> you talked about seasonal stresses as a landscape designer and being super busy. Um, you're definitely feeling that a lot more than me, uh, than I am. So what's happening with Down to Earth? What's going on? Well, I think it's um, it's a number of things. One, I tried to take a vacation. Who thought of that was a good idea? But anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, I think it's just the overlap. It's the overlap season where um, the installs, the last month and a half, maybe two months, there's been a lot of installs, um, which is, you know, a great thing. So these are all the designs that I would have designed, you know, January, February, March, April, all ended up being, you know, installed in August and end of July, but yet there's still the, the, you know, July, August designs that, you know, people are looking for me to get going on. And uh, so it's, it's just that, that real crossover where you're trying to be in two places at the same time, three, if you count trying to be on vacation. So we hope you enjoyed <laughs> last week's show. Um, but um, 
yeah, so I think that is is my because my phone's ringing, and and then sometimes people like I think clients don't realize, um, you know, this is more personal business, you know, stuff. But you know, when you pay is when you're in the queue. So even though I might have seen you eight weeks ago and you're waiting thinking I'm working on your design, but if you don't only paid me two weeks ago, well, then there's a whole bunch of people ahead of you, right? So that's a challenging, you know, just business thing to explain and to sort out. So it was a little bit of insight into my business dilemmas, which is probably uh, <laughs> too much information. Um, but uh, yeah, so so yeah, so that's kind of, uh, you know, setting everybody's expectations, just like we have to set people's expectations um, I know when those gardens that we I installed in August, the beginning of August, and we were in that drought and we're watering, watering like crazy and the hydrangeas are still really sad and kind of tired and some of the other plants were sad and, and, you know, they're setting the people's expectations. Yes, these are new plants. Yes, these are really good quality plants, but it's hot, right? Yeah, they're hot. Yeah. They're unestablished. Mm-hmm. Um, they're coming from garden centers and nurseries that are babying them multiple times a day, uh, has special structures for them, irrigations for them. So, yeah, we kind of have to pick up and pick that up and run with them. It's nice to sit back and look at them because they're pretty, uh, but they still do need your tender love and care. That's right. Like Although, in, yeah, in those that case, though, I think um, I did discover that we were possibly one garden in particular, possibly overwatering and over pampering because... Um, you know, the nursery did explain like it's irrigated and they are getting a good amount of water, but they're just getting water once a day. Mm. <laughs> and here we were like, um, you know, homeowners watering in the morning when she gets up, contractors are watering when they get there. Right? <laughs> um, I pop by at noon and I'm like, oh, my God, everything's tired, like watered again, you know, and and then they're watering before they leave and, and things like that. So finally, somebody said, OK, I think you, we might need to pull back, like let the plants actually absorb that water and and uh, and take. And also then I think we delete depleting some nutrients there, too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Every time we water, we're dissolving those nutrients into the soil solution so the plants can absorb them. Uh, So when we're constantly hitting them with all of that water, we're constantly re-wetting that soil, getting those nutrients and more water gets pushed down outside of that root zone. So over some time, we start to see some different uh, nutrient stresses, stresses and drought Mm. stresses and things. And yeah, and just for those who don't know, I um, maybe there's some new listeners um, or just a nice reminder. Uh, remember that overwatering and underwatering have identical symptoms, mm-hmm. right? So both ways, one might be dry, the leaves discolor, they collapse, they wilt. Same thing on the other side, we start to lose nutrients. But on this side, we've got enough water, but we don't have enough oxygen. We don't have enough gas in the soil for the roots to exchange across membranes. So they start uh, to suffocate and die in the soil as well. But they look just like they're done. So, or they're they're wilting because they're dried. So our natural instinct is quick water. And then remember too, there are plants out there that will, uh, hydrangeas, echinaceas, things that will defensively wilt to protect themselves from excess wind and sun. Right, yeah, they reduce their leaf surface so they don't have as much heat and sun and energy drawing out that extra water as well. So you might have one of those, well, I don't overwater and I don't underwater and soil is doing it, but my plant's still doing that. What's wrong? It might be a defensive mechanism from where that plant has evolved to lower that leaf surface area to help preserve its own water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, so I think that's some of the challenges I'm curious to know. And then we um, different areas of the GTA in the surrounding areas then got quite a bit of rain last week. Mm -hmm. Right. So I know I was in kind of like north of the city on holidays and we didn't get a ton, but I had left my my son in charge of my garden and making sure it was being watered. And he's like, no, nope, it rained today. No, nope, it rained today. So I'm like, phew, my garden's good. And I certainly came home to a very happy um, garden. But I think if those I worried about those gardens that we watered a lot, you know, before I left that were newly installed. And then they got the rain, you know, so because the temperatures mm -hmm. still were fairly warm. Yeah, yes, they were still still fairly warm. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a, that's a legitimate worry, too. Um, I always as well just make sure that you're watching how much rain comes down to with your watering schedule. When mm -hmm. we see that, right, it's going to rain for three days, but we're only going to get, I mean, here lately, I think we're only going to get like, you know, 20 millimeters right? That's barely an inch worth of water in that rain. Right. Or, oh, it's going to rain. It'd be drizzly all day, but we're getting like half, you know, five millimeters. That doesn't do too much. So keep an, keep an eye. And yeah, you, the watering is difficult. It's one of the most important jobs yeah. in the garden center, especially, mm -hmm. and even out in your garden. So there's a yeah. lot to go, to go yeah. in with that too. Yeah. And I do want to talk also about, cause I think I was even guilty of um, I let my, I, I was watering my garden and I was paying attention to what my garden needed. Um, and I let my grass grow long. So it stayed, even though I knew it was dormant, it stayed fairly green. So I was kind of spot watering it a little bit, you know, trying to just make sure, um, but I wasn't worrying too much about it, but I did neglect my city trees. So that is something that when I came home, <laughs> I was like, Yes, my garden looked fine. And yes, my grass looked fine. But my trees have started to drop brown leaves. Mm. And this is August. And then I was uh, walking with a friend as well last um, on the weekend. And I've noticed in the neighborhood, a lot of trees. So if I neglected my trees, then you can imagine with non-gardeners didn't really pay attention. So I think that, you know, our city trees and the big trees in our yards you know, we don't see that they're suffering until it's too late until then, they're, then they're starting to shed leaves or drop twigs or just look really kind of sad, right? Yes, exactly. And just as you started to remind everyone, Brian had written in, uh, hi, Joanne and Matt, please, please remind people to water their newly planted trees. Here in the GTA, my neighborhood had hundreds replanted and the water bags are on the trees, but no one is using them. Let people know, please. So yes, Brian, hopefully Joanne, literally as you hit send or we received it, <laughs> Joanne answered uh, the question. Yeah, definitely it, go out and fill those tree bags. I have a client that I am doing that. I see them weekly and that's one of the first things I notice as I drive up to the property. They're the two tree bags and how full are they? And I make sure that they're always topped up. It is very important. As you're mentioning with stresses in the trees, trees do also have that amazing ability as they get under that stress. Um, and maybe we've seen some, or maybe you can recall in the past, um, the big street trees. As they get so big in such a smaller area, um, I used to, going to college, I had one across the street. It was just in this little boulevard between two driveways. And usually about, about now, maybe mid week or two ago, with the heat, it would change color. And she'd lose all of her leaves and she'd go to sleep. 
And she would just do this as a reaction to the stress. I've done what I can this season. I've got only these resources. It's hot, it's dry, it's time to survive. So it is a good thing, as you were saying, that you're seeing leaves turn and fall off the tree. Is, is that good? Yes, because if you're seeing the tree color, the, the leaves turn and stay on the tree, that means that the, that piece of the tree, that leaf and that part of the stem is dying. It's as the leaf shuts down the petioles and draws in that energy that it pinches and lets the leaf go. But if the leaves are, leaves are browning on your tree and drying and staying on your tree, that tissue in the stem as well is also dying um, because it's not naturally falling off. Again, of course, there's obvious exceptions, you know, beeches and oaks. Uh, we yeah. know for sure they like to dry and let their leaves hang out. But yeah. most trees, that's not the case. If they're hanging out and they're drying and going, that's a, a death. That's, mm -hmm. that's a bigger red flag to be looking for. Okay. Yeah. So should I be, so then I wasn't sure because we have had rain, like I said, while I was away. So is that enough or um, should we also then be watering the, the um, drip line of the tree? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would definitely be watering the drip line, especially with, with the amount of, of drought we've had, especially take a look at, at the drip line. What is the soil structure like at the drip line? How pliable is it? Is there enough air in it? Has it compacted? Has it dried out? And the grass can also tell you a little bit about that too. Is oh, it nice okay. and green or is it kind of looking yeah. a little stressed itself? Um, if it's a little stressed, the soil is probably being a little bit exposed or there's drought in that soil. So further down, there might be some remnants of spring, depending on how much rain your area got in spring. Uh, but you might need to definitely hit that tree line just to replenish that soil, that soil's mm -hmm. water. Mm -hmm. Speaking of grass and drip lines, uh, Mike had also written in a little earlier ago. Mike says, hello, Joanne and Matt. I really enjoyed your show last week. Thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you for tuning in, even though we were away. Um, <laughs> I actually had a few questions for your Apple guest tonight, but that can wait. Yes, we are definitely, for those who've tuned in, um, we were unable to connect with Bob this evening uh, to no one's fault. Uh, just things, unfortunately, just didn't line up, but we are going to have uh, Bob Osborne back. In the meantime, definitely check out his book, Hardy Apples, Growing Apples in Cold Climates. Uh, we're going to talk all about caring for apples and buying apples, uh, et cetera. So get your questions ready. Uh, but Mike says his questions can wait and has another question for us. He says, is it one or two inches of water every week for our lawn? What about in this drought here in the GTA? More water? Question mark. Thank you. So yeah, Mike, normally the rule is, um, like if we were watering along the drip line or we're just watering our lawns, it's one of our drought stress items, once a week to an inch deep. But we're also going to cut the lawn fairly high as well. We want our cool season grasses to grow longer so they can take advantage of the shade and shading themselves, as well as protecting the soil uh, and from the sun and the wind and taking away all of that water. If you, uh, what about drought here in the GTA? If we have a drought like we do here, you might have to water it a little bit extra, especially if you're going to want to keep that green lawn. However, the drought, that dormancy period where we get that nice brown lawn, it is not dead grass. 
uh, it should be nice, healthy, dormant grass uh, that just kind of looks dead. And once we get these fall rains that'll come in, or again, you start to water it after a couple of weeks, we'll start to see green back up and reactivate itself. So yeah, Mike, it depends on if you want to keep her green. If you're fighting to keep her green, you might have to increase to uh, one or two inches or, or increase the length of your mow. Uh, and you should be okay. But yeah, usually once a week, usually in the morning is nice and good. The sun hits them. They start to actively grow and react to the sun. And then you're good to go. So hopefully that answers your question. Excellent. Uh, Gail has written in. Um, hi, JNM. I like that. Um, I know that permanent professional sprinkler systems um, are very expensive to buy and maintain. Somewhat. It depends on your property. But um, she's, they're saying, uh, I bought a $30 automatic timer for my outdoor water faucet, and it is a lifesaver. I just put on my hose and sprinkler at night and set the timer for 7 a.m. in the morning, and voila, instant watering. The best way to do this water if you are busy and cannot do it properly. Yeah, that, that is a great, thanks for the tip. I mean, those are a great thing. Um, and I think super easy, like super, uh, like a super solution for especially like a small yard, right? Where you're mm -hmm. not having to, like for me, I've got such an awkward, not necessarily a large yard, but like awkward, I have to keep moving the sprinkler to make sure everything gets covered, um, you know, but, um, but yeah, so automatic sprinklers are a great idea. Yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, like you said, they're, they can be $30 or they can be $300. Um, it all depends on what you got. But I mean, you can easily just connect that to your hose. I like the, um, uh, I say always the Gardena, the little click and connect mm -hmm. kind of systems. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can just basically plug it in, go to sleep, hit the timer, and you could have a nice, um, uh, soaker hose go off early mm -hmm. in the morning at 7 a.m. under yeah. the mulch or just hidden around your trees. Let it go for two hours uh, or an hour, depending on your soil texture. There's a few yeah. other things to qualify at a time. Uh, and, and just let it water. Um, one of the clients that um, I'm maintaining this year, that was one of their issues. How do I water? I don't want to be out here watering. I said, well, you know what? It's really easy is, is just do this. And that's exactly what they do. Now, they spend enough time out watering in the garden around the pool. They just turn it on themselves and we've set it up. But yeah, that's a great tip, Gail. Yeah, watering can be as enjoyable as you want to. I love watering and taking each care of each plant one at a time. Um, maybe that's a nursery thing for 16 years in the nursery kind of thing. But <laughs> <laughs> or you can you can make it as automated as, as possible. So yeah. So drought is definitely one of the biggest stresses I think we're seeing, obviously, uh, not in our own gardens, but province-wide and uh, all across uh, North America, for sure. We touched about, talked on as well, um, or talked about or touched on, uh, overwatering as well mm -hmm. as one of those stresses. So remember, if, if you're not sure, take a look at the soil. Always do a little bit of dig around that that root zone, take a few spots in your garden. I know right now, even though we have the drought, I have a client this uh, summer that I'm looking after and overwatering is one of the issues in our garden. Uh, and what happens is, is we've got their irrigation going, but they're at the bottom of a hill in the subdivision. So at the edge of the hill, their backyard is the swale. So they've got all the water coming down through the swale 
but their yard is also just kind of levels off and dips just a little bit before it goes out into the street and into the sewers. So we've got a couple of spots where we've got um, some boxwoods that are sitting in a little bit of extra water and they're starting to flag uh, and a few other little things. And then of course, our natural or native soil here in the GTA is a clay loam. Um, so being a newer subdivision, they do still have a good amount of clay that isn't letting the water pass by. Um, so we are picking some new plants for clay and, and water uh, resistance. So take a look, um, see where your water flows, make sure you're checking those pooling areas, even though if you're, you're we're in a drought, but you are irrigating, take a look at where those waters are pooling and how it's flowing and making sure that it leave, it's leaving in the right way from your yard. Oh. So what other, oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. no, I was just going to say the same thing. What other stresses? <laughs> what other stresses? Well, I know one of the other stresses that I have always gotten asked about uh, in the past right now are Japanese beetles and other insect damages. Mm -hmm. okay. um, you know, summer, it gets very hot and humid. We see a lot of things like powdery mildew. Mm -hmm. um, Japanese yeah. beetles. That's what I think of too. Because I think that when we're all we're watering lots, there's some new plants or some plants um, that yeah, that are looking a little bit sad, especially if they're not been established. Like if they're newly mm. planted, they're a little bit more susceptible, I think, to to um things like powdery mildew. Um, and even that they may have finished flowering and um or because they're stressed, they're not repeat, like typical repeat bloomers. Like I think of uh, purple coneflower, you know, yeah. mine repeat bloom pretty well because they're established or the blooms last a while. Um, but I had seen some, uh, some social media where they look like they were newly planted uh, purple coneflowers and they'd finished blooming and they were covered in mildew and they were looking really sad and the poor person wanted to just dig them up and yeah. start over and, and everybody's like no 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 just let them be and it's weirdo you know, so I think that stress of it you know had maybe she she cut them back earlier in the season after that you know something newly planted would have maybe helped um you know the new flush and and uh, kind of get it going a little bit yeah definitely just kind of give it that rejuvenation um, mm -hmm. would have let you take away some of those possibly infected leaves. And then again, tying back into our watering, right? Watering always water the base of those plants. Yeah, the rain is going to come and mm -hmm. it'll spread and whatever. But um, we're growing it ornamentally and or for food. Um, so we want to make sure that we are just watering the base so that we can mitigate some of those mm -hmm. pathogen vectors mm -hmm. um, and keep things healthy and stressed. Yeah. Because plants, just like you're saying, um, as we're seasonal stresses, we get stressed as people and we wear ourselves down when we're stressed. We are also more susceptible to catching things or hurting yeah. ourselves and other things. And plants are the same way um, where they will send out signals of stress um, and insects are smart and they will actually realize yeah. that this plant is stressed and take advantage. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think in those situations, it does benefit the plant to cut it back a little bit, like re remove the old spent blooms? You know, I'm all for like a low maintenance garden and I like leaving my garden, like my plants to kind of just do their thing and not do, you know, we, we you know, talk about the whole don't clean up and make it too tidy in the fall, but mid season, like August, if something is looking tired and looking a little problematic, um, do you think it's better to leave it alone? Or do you think maybe trimming the old spent blooms and some of the, you know, dead leaves off would, would be helpful? 
Yeah, definitely. And that's what I like to do as well. Just remove any issues, make sure that uh, if I haven't fed them or they're really stressed, they might need a little bit of top dressing just to kind of slowly mm -hmm. give them some natural food. But yeah, uh, remove any uh, seed heads or other blossoms that they might be doing just so they can focus their energy inwards on making sure that they can deal with the stress, um, produce new leaves if that's what they want to do. Or if it's a root issue, they can focus their root um, issues down below on healing their roots and regrowing them or uh, dealing with any of those stresses, whether it's an insect or over or underwatering, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like to just tidy them up, keep an eye on them. Again, don't overpower them with uh, synthetic miracle grow or other fertilizers mm -hmm. yes. kind of thing, right? That can add more stress yeah. uh, to the situation as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely tidy them up, give them a little cut back um deadhead if you need to i know like echinaceas the rutabecchias all those fall flowering that are going to give you those seeds um but you know what that plant will be better off if given some time to establish and and regenerate and heal kind of yes. like yeah. us coming back to work right we all yeah. need a little time yeah, off for sure <laughs> and i think that also goes for because this is a great opportunity to pick up some deals at the garden centers right and so you might be picking up a, a pot of echinacea rutabecchia or any other premium that's looking like it had a better day but you know it's a deal and you can't pass it up it is okay to um, you know, really that you're planting that plant for next year now, really, mm -hmm. you know, you might, you might, you know, hit the jackpot and have it actually perform in the next couple of weeks or a month or so after you plant it. But for the most part, if it is looking a little sad and a little beat up, we always, I know we recommend in our book, like lift it out of the pot, make sure the roots are good because what you see above the pot is only part of the story, right? You yeah. want to make sure that the roots are good in good condition and not have been overwatered in the pot or underwatered or root bound, that type of thing. So if you've done that and it's still a good deal, um, it's okay to cut it back and just plant it and just think, okay, if it does do something, you know, this season, that's a bonus, but for the most part, you're really planting for next year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That root mass is just going to take some time to spread out to regenerate um, and giving and cutting it back and kind of giving it nothing really to focus on. Um, but, you know, just rooting in and getting in there is definitely a benefit for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Lots of deals out there right now. Um, and again, just, yeah, always look at those roots, mm -hmm. right? Like you said, excellent point. Half the story, half mm -hmm. the story. <laughs> um, just before we get too far away from them, we've had a couple uh listeners write in Catherine has said hi Joanne and Matt I wanted to get an apple tree from my yard uh any tips for me um you know what we are gonna have Bob Osborne on um and I think that goes into uh, Olivia's next question is when is he going to be on and we're not too sure um it was just kind of a right before the show started yeah, kind exactly. of thing so <laughs> we will get back to you all with the date but we're very excited to have him on uh Catherine he's gonna have more tips than us because he is a um nursery expert at growing and producing those trees um but take a look for trees right now um, my tip to you would be take a look at your local garden centers because the fruit trees tend to be out in the very beginning of the season. The hardy roses, the fruit trees, uh, and the evergreens are the first things to hit uh, in April um, and early May before the temperatures rise and some of more of the leafy tender stuff can come out. Uh, so take a look. And again, just like Joanne said, you know, take a close look at the tree. What are the stresses 
Uh, are they have do they have all the leaves? Are they root bound? Are they pot bound? Is there any damage from being in the garden center all that time? A lot of garden centers shift their layout uh, to better support themselves. So is there any damage uh, that way as well? Mm. Other than that, stay tuned would be my next biggest tip because we are going very excited to have uh, Bob talk all that's about. Right, that's right. That. Well, my our second tip would be to check out um, Susan Poisoner. And her yes. show here on Reality Radio 101, and Gary will help. You chopped out the exact but, name of her show. Uh, it, it's uh, tomorrow, actually. Her show is oh, on tomorrow. Excellent. Um, yeah, for sure. So, if folks want to tune in, you know what? Let me confirm the time uh, really quick. <laughs> I think she's two, isn't she? Yeah, two, two to three. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure too. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and that that would be a great um, show. And what is the date tomorrow? Hmm. August 30th. Um, August 30th. Yep. And, um, 1 to 2. 1 to 2 1 p.m. To two. Oh, 1 to 2. Okay. And she is growing apples? No. What is her well, name of her show? Well, it's the Urban Forestry Radio Show, right. and it is mostly okay. about fruit trees. Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, so she definitely has some resources. So if you can't find, I'm just looking for the listener who wrote that in, Catherine, if you can't find something that you're happy with right now, Susan definitely has resources um, for mail order. And so oh, yeah. it'd be something that you could, um, she's got some great sources there. So that's something you can reach out to her about um, or ask at her show tomorrow at one o'clock here on Reality Radio 101. And um, so it might be something that you are going to order now and then the growers will ship to you um, when it's appropriate. So it might be, you know, February or March, but it uh, it tends to be, um, you know, the best time uh, according to the grower. So, um, so yeah. Shout out Wonderful. for Susan's show. So, and our fellow, I'll let her know, know you did that. Oh, good. <laughs> and we had a great time. I know Gary replayed. Um, we had a great time being guests on the Food um, uh, and Life Show. Right, with, the Food Garden, Garden Life. Life Show. Right Thank with you. Steve Thank and Emma you. Biggs. Uh huh. Thanks. Um, and uh, so we we thought we loved that show so much, and we also loved the guests that followed us. So we actually, you know, Gary played the whole episode last week while I was on holidays, and um, but it was a really good show, and and uh, we really appreciated them to let us on, and so we could talk about our book and and talk to them about our book. Um, so yeah, because maintenance, garden maintenance, and and the things that we want to talk about, we want to teach people from our book, um, are really um. Um, relevant right now, right, Matt? Exactly, exactly. Lots of tips and tricks down the garden path, a step-by-step guide to your Ontario garden and how to make it through all of these crazy tough times and how to make it as low maintenance and as sustainable as possible. As we pass by half past the hour, I'm going to jump in and say thank you, everyone, uh, for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. And thank you, as well to all those who are listening uh, by the downloaded podcast when you're at home or in the car, wherever you are. We appreciate you there as well. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host and co-author, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path, each week bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Uh, just like Bob Osborne, who will be joining us at a later date. So thank you, everybody, for your patience. I know a lot of you were really uh, hoping to tune in and find him this evening, and we were 
as well. But it will be a great show uh, when he joins us. So don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Down the Garden Path Podcast uh, to see when Bob will be on the show. And uh, you can catch up with him when we talk to him then, which will be in September, obviously. Don't forget, you can also find lots of podcast episodes, our past episodes, on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment because we love hearing from all of you. You can always write us directly at any time of week down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. Again, thank you, Tim, who did that in the middle of the week, sent us a little picture and a meme about the health of soil. Thank you, Tim. And don't forget, you can find us online anytime. You can find Joanne at www.downthenumber2earth.ca. And you can find myself at naturalaffinity.ca. So we're talking about stresses, stresses, our seasonal stresses episode. Um, What is happening? We've talked about uh, our drought. We talked about overwintering. Uh, or not overwintering, overwatering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can talk about overwintering, uh, but that's more of a winter stress. And we were starting to talk about pests and diseases. Um, so kind of touching into our uh, stresses, one of the things, keeping things water during the drought. Remember, just try not to soak all of those leaves, especially at night. That's going to promote all of that free moisture where we're going to have molds, spores, funguses, things that are going to spread out go through their life cycle overnight and infect the health of our plant. I haven't seen it actually too much this year, um, but peonies, again, a beloved plant, roses as well, um, tons of black spots and powdery mildews and rusts uh, spreading, but I haven't seen too many peonies out and about uh, with lots of powdery mildew. But again, that's because of humid humidity, but also some overwatering uh, that we get and that moisture left on the leaves because we do it at night because we're out in our gardens. Uh, during the day. One of the other seasonal stresses um, I mentioned as well was Japanese beetles. Mm -hmm. They are out in full force as uh, we've got lots of warm weather. Depending on where you are, they will stay up a little longer, but it is now time this of year for them to drop to the lawn to lay eggs to be white grubs in your lawn. Where I'm going with this seasonal stress is the trees. They've been eating and feeding and moving between trees and shrubs and perennials all season long, but the trees and shrubs and perennials can live. I know a lot of people who would come into me at the garden center and say, I have this beautiful tree. It was fantastic. Uh, I only bought it two years ago, but the Japanese beetles ate half of the leaves. So I ripped it out and threw it out. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was that really rare, you know, flowering cherry I sold you two years ago. Yeah. Yes, that one. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> they will survive. The trees will survive. Their roots have enough food to and energy to help repair them. The bark, the cambium layers in the twigs uh, will help regenerate and seal themselves off. They may look ugly, but things that are affected by those plants are, are going to be perfectly fine. Remember, all those leaves are going to fall away. Uh, Just clean them up and get rid of them. And when you're cleaning up anything, um, we were talking about it as well, cutting back disease perennials and things like that, Mm -hmm. or other things with insects. Remember, don't put them into your composts. You want to remove them into a garbage bag for them to go away off 
the property or into a leaf bag where they're going to go and be put into a facility where they can be treated and processed and returned to you as a municipal or state compost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. And well, the other insect um, also is um, the LDD moth. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Um, so now they are, you tell me, remember, remind me of the stage that they're in. Are you going to look it up? <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. No, I just thought I heard her buzz and it was my phone. I thought okay. I had it up too far. <laughs> my apologies. Um, so the caterpillars have now, you know, we've come down from the tree. So that's done. Um, so, they, you know, it's quite, so the best defense is really interrupting their life cycle, right? That's right. So out right now as well, you often see with the um, Japanese beetle traps, you can also find um, the interruption trap for them. And it has that mating pheromone, much like part of the Japanese beetle trap does. Mm. So when they're out and they're flying around uh, and they're mating, and I'm going to be so bad because one flies and the other doesn't. I think um, the boys flies and the girls don't. Yes. Am I saying that right? Um the boys yep. will fly into the trap thinking there's a girl in there and then, then they can't escape. So that prevents the males from fertilizing the females right. um, and, and having them all over the trees. I have been out in some of the parks, the provincial parks and conservation areas, and I have seen big egg patches mm. um, already. Some that, that had, didn't survive and then some that did survive. And um, so, yeah, so that is also out there. You can start looking for little fuzzy patches. Um, little gross that are in kind of like a gray to a gray brown webbing that's really tight into the bark of your tree, kind of bumpy and flat looking. Uh, right. But those are your eggs of your little egg piles from the females who have laid them right on your tree. And you want to scrape or get rid of those now so they <laughs> don't overwinter. That's right. Yeah. You could, um, I like to say scrape them. Uh, you could spot treat them with a, a treatment, but I always go the least chemical method as possible, for sure. So what else do we have for our stresses? We've talked about over and under watering. We've talked about insects, pests, and disease. We've touched a little bit on lawn. Remember, especially with our drought, we grow cool season grasses up here in the GTA. Uh, and most of northern Canada and the northern United States. So we have grasses that when we get too hot, they are going to shut down defensively. Unless, again, you're cutting them super high, three to four inches tall, and you're watering them once a week to an inch deep. Um, and that we also have all about that instruction in our book as well. Uh, so make sure that if you do have a brown lawn, don't give up on it. Once we see some cooler nighttime temperatures, uh, and a little bit more rain in the forecast, which I know tomorrow here where we have an 80% chance of rain, uh, we still need to just get that soil to be a little bit more wet, a little bit more cooled off, and we'll see all of that grass rejuvenating. Now, if you do have a lawn and you do have kids and it has been dormant for a while, make sure to stay off of it as well. After about four weeks, the grass has been so dried out that any traffic, stepping on it, driving on it, um, letting the dog out on it can start to damage the structure of the grass itself, as well as the soil. And that's where we get weird patches and as well as weird 
um, dead areas or irregular dead areas as the grass rewets itself. We all are so coming in also, I think I just said a very bad word there, a weird word there. Um, that, but we are coming into, again, Japanese beetle season. So mm. it is nematode time. Nematode. Because aren't the Japanese beetles, they're winding down, right? They're about to lay their eggs. Right. We're going to see them up, up above ground because it is so warm still longer than they normally will as August kind of turns down. A couple okay. of years ago, they were out till like the end of September, like the 20th of September. Um, but they have been laying eggs and they do take about two to three weeks to hatch. And so now we're at that point as we're end of August, beginning of September, where they're going to be young and right close to the surface. So now is the best time to start laying down those nematodes. Okay. Those nematodes are going to swim around infect those little baby grubs, uh, multiply and, and start to fortify your lawn. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. We do cover, so we do want to give a shout out to our book, uh, Down the Garden Path, a step-by-step -step guide for your Ontario garden and beyond Ontario gardens, um, where we do talk quite a bit and give you kind of lots of detail about nematodes. And we also have several past episodes about uh, grubs and nematodes. Uh, but for a, a recap, I think the key thing is making sure you're getting quality uh, nematodes, right? So mm -hmm. they, from a, a from check that they would have an expiry date. So check when you're going to a garden center or a big box store. I recommend going to the garden center to get them and making sure that they're fresh. Um, we have some tips. Uh, they, you know, hose and sprayer. Um, but the biggest key, and especially because of our drought, is making sure that you've watered the lawn well before you even apply the the nematodes right Matt yeah you want to give your lawn a good watering for at least 30 to 45 minutes before you start to put them down uh, and then you're going to water them in and then you're going to give one last little pass over with water once more um, because the water that you've just put down through the hose end sprayer all those little droplets that are now glistening on the, the grass surface have nematodes in them so you want to make sure that the leftovers are, that are on the blades get pushed back to where they can do their most uh, most work. So give them <laughs> 30 to 45 wet, uh, water them in. They are swimmers. And that's why it's so important to make sure that your soil is moist and stays moist um, for the better part of the week to a week before yeah. it really dries out. You need them to get into their home. Uh, and then, of course, we have usually the fall of seasonal rains come in and help you with that watering. But Absolutely. Yeah. So it's and, not a one and done. And I no. think we've had we both had experience where people say, oh, yeah, I've, I tried nematodes, but it didn't they didn't really work. But really, it's it's really important that you um, that you do the watering. And I think some people um, either neglect do neglect the watering beforehand, apply them and then stop watering or, you know, like I think it's 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 really a. a a lot, I wouldn't say it's a lot of work. It's not like it's not like we're digging and cutting and you know, oh. you know what I mean. Like it's not a lot of work, but there is you know a stage that's really important to be more successful. And I think watering your lawn uh, area um, very well before applying them, and then continuing to water. Um, and the time of day too, right? We don't want to be applying them in the middle of the day, even though that's the most convenient time. It is preferable to water them um, at near sunset, right? You said a little bit more in the evening. 
Yes. And this is because we very often talk about when to be watering things. And I always say early in the morning, this is probably my one exception to save something that's really needs some water. There's an issue, but is watering your lawn with your nematodes. It's best to do it in the evening as the sun kind of hits eye level on the horizon, or you've got, you know, an hour or so left of sun uh, left to do it because you're going to have the cool weather. You usually don't have, unless there's a storm coming, like right now there's not too much. Uh, you don't have the sun beating down on an organ, microscopic <clears throat> organism that is soil-borne that's never seen UV rays in its life. Um, you don't have the sun, you know, drying the water as it evaporates when it leaves the hose to the lawn. You don't have the wind blowing it away. Um, and then you have in the evening, you've just got that nice, cool, long period where things are going to stay moist, give them time to travel and settle in and really get to where they're going. And then you just need to make sure that you're staying up on the watering. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Don't do it during the day. Right. And so I think we're, we're good. Like we're just starting to need to apply. And I think the month, depending on the weather, but you pretty much have the month of September, maybe in the week into a week into October to do the, to do that. Right. So, you know, it, it, I think it, de- does it depend? Like how do people know when's best time for them? Like if, if they're, if they're, nema- they're Japanese beetle f- um, traps are still full of Japanese beetles. Should they hold off a little bit longer or? Yeah, no. So you can, so yeah, like I was saying, like, because of the warmth, we're going to see some, a, a lingering presence of the beetles. Um, but mom has gone down and laid a bunch of eggs, oh, okay. um, which start to happen and hatch through. We usually see most of the mid August to the rest of the year as they get bigger and bigger. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah. So anytime now go ahead. Um, okay. The nematodes will try to go further south or down in the soil as it cools off. Um, so when we get to about mid-October and the ground starts to get colder, remember the ground stays warmer than the air does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once we start to get the soil dropping below 10 degrees again, which is auger, October to mid-October, uh, that's when we're going to probably stop. Um, if you really are late and just had forgotten about it, just do a quick soil, take your beet thermometer, Go stab it in the ground. Yeah. And take you a, see a that. I've never tested that. I've never tested that out. Really? Need thermometer? And you can buy a lot of, um, just as we were talking about over and under watering, there's a lot of new digital um, watering meters as well, but it also just has a temperature gauge on it too. So it'll tell you how wet it is, but it also will read the soil uh, okay. temperature as well. So yeah, yeah. So um, as long as it's above that 10 to 12 degrees or in that range, the, they will still swim and do their thing. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so, but we don't want people to think they have to do it now and then do it again in October, right? Like once is enough. Yeah, sorry. And then that's what I was also going to say. Do they have to do okay. it again later or whatever? No. So the nematodes, what they do is, um, and viewer, listener discretion is advised, I'm getting into some science and biology here. <laughs> what the nematodes do is they will swim around and they will find the grubs. And then along the side of the body, there's little spherules where the grubs will ex- exchange oxygen. Basically, is like their nose. It'll swim into their spherules, and as they swim into the spherules, they infect the body by releasing a bacteria, and the bacteria liquefies the internal components of our grubs. And then the nematodes swim around and eat all of the melted insides and re-ingest the bacteria. And usually one nematode in equals 10 nematodes out. So when you buy nematodes, you're buying millions, like 
5 million, 1 million, 10 million packages. So if they all infected something, you're going to multiply your population by 10. So 100 in and 1,000 pop out. So you usually have to do it once, especially if you have a healthy nematode population. If you've mm. fought your nematodes or fought your grubs and they have a low population, um, you might. that's where you're just going to spot treatment. You could do the whole lawn because they'll slowly live there and they'll eat other white grub-like creatures. Um, but yeah, so yeah, once at a time. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Once All is right. usually good because they multiply very, very well. Very quickly. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Um, I do want to say one of the other things I get, I don't know if it's a stressor, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, I get asked a lot, is it too late to plant? Is it, is it too late to buy things? Is it, I mean, it's only August, really. We still mm-hmm. have another couple months of growing season and our garden should still be looking good for another couple of months. So, um, so yeah, so especially with some new gardens being installed, you know, homeowners have said, you know, well, um, the plants are looking tired at the garden center, or the big box store. I don't know. Should we wait until spring? Um, and, and I kind of have a pretty strong opinion about that. I just feel that now the fall is the better time. Um, they, we, we kind of always know, like, I feel like fall always follows that predictable pattern. And um, we know, and the plants are already a good size. And yeah, they might look a little tired and the the hydrangea might be like, you know, the blooms might be a little spent, let's say picking on a hydrangeas for, for that mm-hmm. matter, or like a wajilia who might be finished, but it's already got its leaves, it's re- leaves and it's soil and it's got a really nice structure. And then we're going to put it in and it's going to just be there, right? Like the whole uh, first year they sleep, second year they creep, the third year they leap. So I feel like when you do it in the fall, it's sleeping, but it's sleeping at a really good size, right? And, and, and a really good root structure. And it's, it's then in the come spring, it's going to hit the ground running. So you definitely get even more of a creep, you know, from that kind of thing. So we, we kind of know, like, you know, we don't know when that's going to start to cool down. This year has been a bit later, but it's going to cool down. We're going to get rain. We're going to, you know, it's going to follow kind of a predictable pattern, but I find spring is never very predictable. We, no. we never know if there's going to be an early frost, uh, a late frost, or even, uh, you know, um, a sudden frost, like in February or something like that, right? That affects some flowering trees um, or like ice storms. Like there's, we never kind of know. We have very little control over that spring and, and beginning of our garden season, Um the plant also the trouble the nurseries have right the it takes them longer to get going in the spring if it's a cooler spring Mm -hmm. Uh, I know last year that was a huge issue it was a much cooler spring and my May planting and June plantings where we were planting these little pathetic little things that stayed kind of pathetic for the whole they certainly slept you know slept kind of thing so um, you know they would have rebounded the following year that type of thing and and homeowners didn't know any different and, and that was fine but I just feel like if you have have an opportunity to, um, to, you know, put in a new garden or add to your existing garden, Um, you know, especially if you're finding a deal, or if you want to work with a landscape professional who has access to um, plants from the growers, right? That's something, you know, I've had to explain to my clients, I'm not getting those plants that have been sitting on a bench, you know, at a big box store since May, I'm getting, you know, plants that have been taken care of very well at a grower, um, and, and they're looking good. So, you know, they're going to still going to look like they're August or September plants, but 
I think you definitely hit the, you know, uh, ground running in your garden. So I do want to say it's, it's not too late. It is still a good idea to plant. It's a good idea to look at the spots in your garden, the holes in your garden um, where you want something new or pollinator wise. I know um, I'm thinking, you know, I, I think I've got a spot for something else that could be a good pollinator friendly plant um, compared to something in the spring or even something you could buy now that might be a spring bloomer. That's another thing, right? I don't mm-hmm. think people, I think we get caught up in this time of year thinking about what should be blooming now or what should be blooming in October, but you could have a deal on something that's actually going to bloom in the spring, right? And and now is a good, it doesn't look like much when you put it in, but it's going to be a good, um, good thing. Yeah, so, I, I, I feel like I was a bit on my so on a soapbox there, Matt. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no good points. All you're you're right. We do definitely focus on you know uh, all the you know the rutabacchias, the echinaceas, the hydrangeas, mm-hmm. the hibiscus, all, all the rosy yep. sharons, all those that look beautiful now. But like you said, and and planting and keeping one of those over uh, relieve the stress of those spring plants. Uh, I've seen beautiful rhododendrons and azaleas that are just ripe and pregnant with buds for next year. Mm-hmm. It's just they need a home. There yeah. are beautiful perennials that will give you bloom their heads off for you all spring long, uh, but they're sitting on a bench right now because nobody looks at the tag or or is uh, like really thinks of their garden in spring until it's right. actually spring because the fall flowers and the summer stuff is looking so beautiful and is like merchandise to the nines. Right. Right. So yeah, think of the whole your whole garden as a whole, all those little pieces. Take back and take stock. And we say that in our book as well. You know, seasonally, we taking those photos. You know, what does it look like mm-hmm. in spring? What does it look yeah. like in mid-spring? What does it look like in summer? What does it look like now? You know, um, and, you know, we've even left pages in there. Write down what are those, some of the, those stresses and what do you need to go and get for? Um, yeah, because there are, fl- I've seen flats of beautiful magis and uh, creeping flocks yes, and beautiful some, ground covers that I are know. waiting yeah. to find somewhere so yeah and you know what too what I was able to pick up on was a real good deal of uh, a whole flat of native plants which yeah. were sad and kind of pathetic and they were all spring bloomers um you know you know they here they we have a, a brand that has them in the choir pots right yeah. so you can put those right in the ground so there was really nothing to them like I'm, I'm I feel like I'm just planting you know soil really um but though they were 40 percent off they were native plants um and i can add them to my garden and and then there's gonna you're gonna see i'm not gonna see anything this year but the next year like again it's gotten that head start as opposed to if i planted it in the spring right yeah and not at 40 percent off right and as you say like the rhyme you know sleep creep and leap Mm -hmm. we say sleep let me know it doesn't just shut down for the year either like she's doing her thing to like settle in there she's rooting she's repairing she's getting ready and then winter will put her to actual dormancy so that first year where they're sleeping they're doing things you just don't get to see that big boom of growth so yeah flat of those beautiful natives that's going to reward you in spades next year yeah because they've got all that care and attention and they're out in, in soil now yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't even believe what time it is. It's it's like got like five minutes left. I just wanted to very quickly address Jake had written in before we go. Uh, hey, Matt, well, watering for a week at night for nematodes. Won't that do dam- the damage that you talk about for our lawn, mold, etc.? Yes, if we have, um, if you have a mold problem or a lawn rust problem, yes. 
you will see that. And that's something we need to identify and treat quickly. We also, Jake, aren't going to be flooding our lawn for like, you know, we're not going to be watering six inches deep for the nematodes either. We just want to make sure that that upper couple inches don't dry out. So we might be watering once just every in the evening. We might be watering once every day and a half. So it might be evening, uh, you know, morning, evening, morning kind of thing on a, on a day and a half type of schedule. Um, just And then if you've got your lawn long, it might be even two days before all that water gets utilized by the grass or the environment itself. So yes, there is definitely that risk. Um, the other damage that I, we, I think we forget too is we put on our irrigation systems so that they spray over the flowers as well as the lawn because now you're watering two places at once to save some time. And especially if you're going to do that on an irrigation system at night, that's where you want to, to miss that. But, but yes, Jake, uh, thank you for that. Yes, just watering to keep the soil moist and uh, treat those issues if you do have molds or other issues. If you've got a fairly healthy lawn, they'll fight that off and that will, won't be too much of an issue. And, mm-hmm. and grass is very quick growing when it's cool and, and a big drinker. So thank you very much, Jake, very much for that question. William, we see your question as well. We will write to you after the show. Um, but as we reach the last minute of uh, the show, we are going to say thank you for everybody for tuning in. Thank you for your patience. We will get back to you with Bob Osborne joining us to review his book, Hardy Apples, Growing Apples in Cold Climates. Uh, I know you lots of you have lots of great questions. Don't forget to check out our book on Amazon, Down the Garden Path, a step-by-step guide to your Ontario garden. We've got lots of the topics we touched on today in our stressful seasonal stresses episodes. So we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for tuning in here live on Reality Radio 1 and downloading or listening via the podcast. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.